Episode 14. One, two, three, and a four. Are you going to count up to 14? Five, <laughs> no, six. Okay. Don't do it. All right, all right, all right. It is the Cuz I Have To podcast when living your dream is the only option. I'm Julie Slater. I am Jason Friday. Our guest this week is scientist and stem cell researcher Megan Peasley. She pretty much is way smarter than us. She's such a sweetheart, but when it comes to science, intimidation sets in. She's living with type 1 diabetes, became pregnant, and then noticed something missing. Going through the process of having kids while being a type 1 diabetic was just incredibly hard. I really sought out, while I was pregnant, other moms who had gone through similar experiences, and I tried to find birth stories and things like that to help prepare myself for the experience of giving birth. I struggled to find those stories. I struggled to find the community that I was looking for. And So guess what? She decided to start her own group to help moms who are diabetics, and it's called Blood Sugar Mama. We're about to hear more about it. Enjoy. Welcome to the program, Megan. Thank you, Julie. I'm so excited. We are so psyched to have you on. We, yeah, we, we feel are. a little intimidated by your smarts. Just a little <laughs> bit, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I feel a little bit intimidated because this is my first time on a podcast. So, oh, funny. We can have mutual intimidation. Exactly. <laughs> I've never been on a podcast. Uh, I know nothing about diabetes, and I don't research anything. So uh, you I, got a, I got a D in biology once. <laughs> it definitely wasn't part of my part of my dharma at the time. Uh, yeah, I definitely think I uh, cheated at least in high school biology, which is so sad and bad that I even did that. <laughs> I know it's not my style. I don't know why it did, but yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> so I wanted to get into, you had said that you had an interest in science after being diagnosed with T1 or that's type one diabetes. Can you explain for someone who doesn't know much about it, like what is type one diabetes and I guess really how, how does it affect your life? Yeah. So Type 1 diabetes is, um, it's the less common form of diabetes. Usually when people are talking about diabetes, they're talking about type 2. And um, that's the one that you usually get later on in life, typically, although kids can also get it. And that has more to do with having resistance to insulin. So um, usually people can control it with diet and like other lifestyle changes, although not always. And uh, type one is more rare. It usually happens in kids. At least that's when onset happens. It's a lifelong disease. I got type one diabetes when I was eight years old. It's an autoimmune disease. And what that means is that at some point, for some reason, people are still trying to figure out why exactly this happens. My body decided to attack the beta cells, so the insulin making cells in my pancreas. And from that point on, I haven't been able to make insulin like somebody who doesn't have diabetes. And I've had to take insulin either through injections or now I use something called an insulin pump that is attached to me all the time. And it has a reservoir of insulin and it's connected to my body just through a little tiny plastic tube that just goes just right under my skin. And it's attached on my stomach currently. Basically, anytime I have to eat or if I'm really stressed, I might need some insulin. And I am essentially trying to do what a 
pancreas does all the time. So I'm trying to keep my blood sugars balanced in a um, really tight range that your pancreases are great at doing <laughs> and mine can't at all. Wow. That's I wanted to interrupt, but it was just so like... <laughs> I was like, I was like mesmerized by the info you just said. Sorry, wow. it was a lot to throw at you. In uh, so we can definitely break it down if you have questions about. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, what does no, insulin I, exactly fine. do for the body? Well, insulin is basically a key that lets your body access the sugar that you get from your food. Sugar is just. You know, it gets broken down in your digestive tract and it's floating around in your blood until insulin comes along and unlocks some receptors on your cells that let your cells uptake that sugar and use it to do things to for energy, basically. Wow. And you're saying that they still have no idea why some people end up with type 1 diabetes? Yes. In fact, I mean, there's a lot of theories out there, but for the most part, really, we have no idea. I have no idea what caused my type 1. And is that wow. what your big goal is to figure that out? I mean, in an ideal world, <laughs> yes. I definitely, I got into science and in particular stem cell biology because I wanted to look for either a cure or to help understand the disease better. But um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like if you. <laughs> if yeah, you of course. Disease, you got something it, that's not. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, but, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there working on it. I'm actually not currently working on type one diabetes. My career has led me to just working with stem cells because of my experience in that field. But it definitely like that's what kickstarted my interest in science and got me into the lab in the first place. I mean, that's pretty, I don't know. I, I, I'm looking at like some facts too. There's like over 30 million people in the United States. Yep. I mean, more than one in four of them didn't even know they had it. Like you, you didn't know that you had it and it came out of nowhere. And when you were eight, yeah. I guess. But yeah, does uh, yeah. it come out at eight or did they just not know you had it? Uh, it comes on suddenly. Usually there was, you know, basically for the first, uh, you know, eight years of my life up until I was diagnosed, my pancreas functioned normally. And then something went wrong at some point. Then it usually like I was basically a normal kid. And then two weeks later, I was in the hospital. So it was a it was about two week period or so where things started to go wrong. Some of the signs of type one diabetes, which most people don't know to look out for in kids are that you're incredibly thirsty all the time. So you're just drinking water like crazy. And um, you never can really satiate that thirst. You're just always thirsty. You lose a lot of weight out of nowhere. You end up constantly having to pee <laughs> because you're drinking so much water and wow. really hungry all the time. I had really bad headaches. It's kind of unusual, right? You know, when you're a kid and you get sick, it's usually something like you have a fever or you're throwing up. And so my parents were really confused by it for a long time until I just was becoming so lethargic that they felt like they had to take me in and get me looked at. And once you go in to see a doctor, of course, they know type 1 diabetes is, even though it's rare, it's not, it's common in kids compared to adults. And so they knew exactly what to look for based on my symptoms. It's, it does come out of nowhere. I didn't have any family history of it. There's not even any type 2 diabetics in my family. So diabetes was something I had literally never heard of until the day that I was diagnosed. Wow. That's what I was going to ask too. Like is is type 1 or I guess are diabetes in general any type are they passed down, I guess you could say from a family? Is Normally. is that a huh? 
I was just saying normally because she said hers wasn't. No, you're, you're right. Yours wasn't. But is it normally like that? Or is it, I mean, obviously every body is different, I assume, right? So <laughs> Yeah, it's... so type type 2 often is um, has a genetic component. Type 1, there are some genes that they've shown to be connected to getting type 1 diabetes, but it's not the same as when you get diseases that are known to be genetically inherited. It's It seems to be maybe a genetic component plus some sort of an environmental factor that brings it on kind of like a lot of diseases there's you know uh, things like cancer are similar you know where you might right. have genetic predisposition but also something happens at some point in your life that really starts that um starts your body moving towards that path right and they still don't know about that it could no. be the environment it could be mm-hmm. anything right yeah yeah it's definitely it, it's a really complex thing to solve i think it's one of those things, especially with diseases like type one diabetes and cancer, you're more likely to like, I think the reason that most people are focused on finding a cure is because you're probably more likely to figure out the cure than the cause that the cause can, is probably so complex, but that's right. really, you know, maybe, maybe things will be found, but. Can you share anything that you've learned through your stem cell research? Yeah, sure. So stem cells, just as a little uh, primer, they um, the idea behind them and the reason that scientists have been so excited about them over the past, I mean, they've been around for a long time, but especially since um, around 2009, 2010 is when they that research really started to heat up. Stem cells can become anything in the body, which is really exciting because a lot of cell types are not easy to obtain and culture in a lab. Also, there's a lot of diseases out there that would benefit from having a cell be transplanted into your body to sort of fix something that's not there. Say like in type 1 diabetes, if we could take stem cells and in a lab make them into insulin producing beta cells that function the same way that beta cells in a person without diabetes function, then you can take those cells and transplant them into a person and they will function hopefully exactly the same way that a healthy pancreas would. That's kind of where the excitement of stem cells comes from. And that's really why I got into learning about them back when I was getting my master's degree in 2010. Wow. And have you seen any changes in the research since you've started? Oh, yeah. I mean, with... I mean, with a lot of fields, there have been huge leaps and bounds. We're at a point where most cell types of the body have been figured out how like how we can make them, which is a feat in and of itself. Pathways that we're trying to follow to take a stem cell to any cell type in the body are so complicated and really hard to study because you're trying to follow developmental pathways the same way that happens during embryogenesis. And we can't really study that. It's really hard to study human development. So what we've had to do is we've had to learn from other animals mostly and just do a lot of what I kind of think of as guessing and checking. (laughs) So you you end up doing a lot of experiments where you take a stem cell and you give it a certain type of food and you put in different chemicals and compounds to try and get it to become the cell type you're interested in. And along the way, it starts to become something else. A stem cell, because it can become anything, will become anything. When you're trying to push it to a specific type of cell, it takes many years and a lot of that guessing and checking to get to a point where 
you get the cell type that you're actually looking for. The amount of work that's been done in the last 10 years on that is just, it's huge. There's, the field has come a really long ways. Is there a particular animal wow. that your work has worked well on? Uh, well, most developmental biology, especially what we use a lot from in my lab has been based off of the mouse and mouse embryology, just because that's an that's an easy model system to study. You know, they're small, they're easy to care for in a lab setting, and they're just, it's easier to, to be working with them than a lot of other animal models. The mouse is kind of where the basis of a lot of my lab's research has come from, but there's other animal models. There's these tiny little fish called zebrafish that are really popular in developmental biology because they're clear. So you can see them in the dish as they develop. You can watch them become mature zebrafish and you can see their organs develop just by looking wow. at them. It's really oh amazing. God. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that would be easier than like a, you know, a cheetah or something like that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Of course, there's a lot of ethical concerns about animal research and working with mice versus say higher primates and things like that. It's it, a little bit more, I guess it's easier to to understand why you would start with a mouse versus like a monkey. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Yeah. Right. Even though a monkey, I guess, or any type of ape would be closer to a human as opposed to a mouse, but right, the risks and stuff and, and right, the ethics on that. I know probably... my, my nephew who does cancer research, I know they have done some work on pigs. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what the correlation, like why that's beneficial. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of different animal models will either work well as a model system for a disease or they won't. For instance, right now I work on cystic fibrosis, which is a disease that is mostly affects the lungs. It also affects the digestive tract and other parts of the body. But the lungs are the primary concern because they're so critical, obviously, <laughs> to staying alive. And so right. research has been focused on the lungs. And the mouse model of cystic fibrosis doesn't actually develop the same sort of lung disease that a human does. So one of the models that people have used instead is actually a ferret, which is a kind of, <laughs> in my opinion, one of those animals that you would, I, I mean, that's very rarely heard of, I feel like in, in research. Most of the time you think about mice and rats and sometimes pigs, but ferret is kind of unusual. But the, if you give a ferret a mutated cystic fibrosis gene, then they will end up with the same type of lung disease that a human with cystic fibrosis would get. So they're actually a really good model to use. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of random. Wow. <laughs> that is, that is very random, but so like, I mean, it's like intriguing and I don't know, I've never heard such a thing. That's amazing. <laughs> Wow. So what I love is, so you've had this background of being a scientist, but recently, as our show is, because I have to, when following <laughs> a dream is the only option, you started, um, you have kids of your own, and you had kids while having diabetes. I know it's a big issue. And you started an Instagram account called Blood Sugar Mama. Can you tell us a little bit about what has drawn you to this next part of what you're doing? Yeah, so... Having kids while having type 1 diabetes and especially pregnancy and birth kind of just opened up this whole new world to me of what it's like motherhood in general is just such a transformative experience and going through the process of having 
kids while being a type one diabetic was just incredibly hard. And I really sought out while I was pregnant, other moms who had gone through similar experiences. And I tried to find birth stories and things like that to help prepare myself for the experience of giving birth. And I struggled to find those stories. I struggled to find the community that I was looking for. And I had my son in 2014. So about six, almost seven years ago now. I don't know if it was because these communities weren't quite getting started yet or or what it was, but it wasn't very easy to find those moms. And so what I'm hoping to do with this account is to bring together that community to share my own stories, to connect with other moms who have gone through this, because when you have type one diabetes, you're constantly, like I said, you're trying to be a pancreas. You're trying to um, keep your blood sugars in a tight range. And that has to be done to a heightened level when you're pregnant, because you're trying to be as close to normal person as possible, because that's what's best for the baby. And it's just incredibly stressful. I was pricking my finger 10 times a day because that's how you monitor your blood sugars through finger sticks. Just an incredible amount of work doing as much monitoring as as what needed to be done to have a healthy pregnancy. And did it go easily your first pregnancy as uh, easily as it could? It, I, I definitely wouldn't call it easy. I was really lucky in that I didn't have any complications, but just all of the extra monitoring and stress that goes on, it's a lot. And so my son was actually not my first pregnancy. I About a year and a half before having him, I, um, I had a miscarriage and that was just incredibly hard. It was really early and probably not due to anything with my diabetes. There's no way to know when it's so early on, but it definitely added a lot of stress to the pregnancy on top of having to deal with type 1 diabetes when I was pregnant with my son because I'd gone through that experience of loss and it was just, I mean, it, it really, it, it shakes you. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it sticks with you. It's hard to... I think any mom who's gone through that or really any person who's gone through that, the the subsequent attempts at, you know, trying to have a baby are then just that much harder because you have that in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah that's that is so tough. I, I have friends and family who have had, you know, gone through that. And it's I mean, it's there is nothing that is positive about it. So. Yeah, and you're right. And just to have the confidence to keep going forward right. and not be consumed with the fear right. of what could happen, you know, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh my God. Right. Cause it's, I mean, what, what is that like? Uh, anyways, whatever. We don't need to get into that. That's just, <laughs> that, that is, that's a tough thing. And, and, you know, more power to you and any, everybody else or anyone else who has gone through that. It's unreal. So what I love is that through your blood sugar mama is that you are really opening up uh, an area that maybe wasn't around for people so that maybe someone, another mother coming through will be going like, oh, I want to have a kid, but I have type 1 diabetes. And through your stories and the stories of others, you could help everybody. Yeah, that's really what I hope to do. I have already like met and connected with a few moms who are pregnant right now and I feel like it's so awesome to be able to talk to them and just even say like, hey, you're doing okay. Like it, it seems incredibly stressful right now, but it's going to be fine. And, you know, you're doing a good job. Like just that sense of community and being, you know, being able to help people who are 
coming along and going through what I went through. It's, I don't know what it's going to turn into yet. I pretty much, I started this kind of because it had stuck with me for so many years after having my son and then having my daughter, I've been kicking around this idea for a couple of years and I don't really know exactly where to go with it yet. It just feels like something that I need to do that I know would have been incredibly helpful to me, especially during my first pregnancy. I'm just hoping that it's helpful to other moms who are going through this. And it's definitely something that I would have needed. Well, I just want to say, like, what's so great about really living your dharma, living your dreams, is when you just know deep down inside you need to do something And you release the how of it, you know, like, I don't know where I'm going with this or how it's just you feel that right in your gut, like this is what Mm -hmm. I need to be doing. And I think that's pretty wild. So I guess you don't, uh, I was going to ask you where are you going to take blood sugar mama next? But do you know? (laughs) Well, um, I am trying to put together a website so that I can start actually sharing more like blog posts. I, I feel like On Instagram, I'm a little wordier than the average person when it comes to my captions because I really love to write. That's another sort of side thing that I've been doing for years is just writing. And um, so I'm I'm hoping to share more long form stories soon, as well as I'm considering starting a podcast there. Whoa. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, I hope we can be a part of pushing you towards that. Yeah, there was a um, there's a podcast that I listened to a lot to prepare me for birth the second time around because my first birth, it was fine. Nothing went wrong. I just felt like I could have been better prepared and that I didn't feel very empowered by it. It was kind of I just took like a more of a passenger seat. Obviously, I was doing work, but I didn't really know what I was doing. The second time around, I really wanted to be more prepared. And so I I listened to this podcast. It's called The Birth Hour. And it's amazing. The woman who does it has recorded hundreds of birth stories at this point. And they're all so compelling to listen to and very helpful as a pregnant woman to be able to listen to all these different stories of people who have gone through so many different types of birth. I would love to put something out there that is um, just talking about birth with type 1 diabetes, maybe down the road, talking to moms with type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes too, because they go through similar experiences. So that's something that I'm thinking doing. So I have a lot of ideas. I just, this Instagram account was kind of just the beginning. Well, I got really excited when I started reading your posts and the idea of what you're going for. And I think you're onto something really huge and I'm excited for you. Thank you. Blood sugar mama. (laughs) I love, oh my God. It's it's like some of the people we have on this podcast is just so amazing it's like such a different walk of earth and everybody is and so i don't know everyone's path is so different you know it's so different and so unique and that's why we love doing this it's just like unreal to hear your story and and other people's we've done it's i don't know it blows my mind yeah it feels good but guess what kids it's time for (laughs) five o'clock somewhere megan this is when we ask you five great questions and we think we're hilarious. So are you ready <laughs> to play It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere? I think so. <laughs> Question number one. You and your husband, Sam, good friend of mine, seem mm. to be a fan of the brew. What's your favorite brewery and favorite beer from that brewery? Ooh, I guess I'll have to go Treehouse 
and Julius. Yeah, it's a brewery out here. <laughs> nice. And what, what kind of uh, what kind of beer is it? It's a double IPA. Mmm. I like the doubles. We love them. <laughs> uh, question number two: You made a big move from LA to Boston. What do you love the most about Boston, and what do you miss the most about California? Ooh. Uh, I love the snow in Boston, actually. It, it's the thing that everyone said I wouldn't like. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and I miss the restaurants in California. LA yeah. especially has Boston beat hands down when it comes to food. I've been hearing that from a lot of people who leave LA. They're like, oh man, that is yeah. the one. Gee, can't find that yeah. anywhere. Maybe New York. Maybe. Uh, Question number three, speaking yeah, of food, your favorite New England food item and how many cups of clam chowder have you eaten in a year? <laughs> uh, I guess I have to go with a lobster roll. I like the hot lobster roll. There's cold and hot. You know, I don't have a lot of clam chowder. I've probably had, you know, two or three cups in the last year. Not a ton. All right. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Question number four, if you could use stem cell research to create a superpower, what would it be? Ooh, well, I would love to fly. So I guess I would make myself wings. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. All right, question number five. Do you have any great science jokes? Ooh, um, all right. I'll try to translate this one because it's more of a cartoon that I've seen. <laughs> so one snowman is standing outside with another snowman and they look up and they see snowflakes falling and the first snowman says hey look stem cells <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say that was perfect for our conversation that was <laughs> now we did have some jokes prepared just in case you didn't have one. Ooh, i would um, love to hear them okay a neutron walks into a bar and asks how much for a beer the bartender replies, for you, no charge. <laughs> You'll never believe this, but that is actually my second favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Jason, next one. The doctor tells a woman that she has only six months to live. He advises her to marry a chemist and move to Toledo. The woman asks, will this cure my illness? No, replies the doctor, but it will make six months seem like a very long time. <laughs> Why can you never trust atoms? They make up everything. That's a classic. Okay, <laughs> we got two more. Two more. Jason? Two, two chemists go into a bar. The first one says, I think I'll have an H2O. The second one says, I think I'll have an H2O2. And he died. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, exactly. Uh, H2O. Yeah, H2O2 uh, is the molecular formula for hydrogen peroxide, which will kill you if you drink it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, last one. How much room do fungi need to grow? As much room as possible. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Megan, for being a fantastic guest on the Because I Have To podcast. We wish you all the best. I think you're on to something huge. Everyone go to Blood Sugar Mama on Instagram and be looking out for the future blog and all kinds of great things coming up and podcast. 
That's right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Julie and Jason. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to the Cuz I Have To podcast. The best way you can help us is share the show. Tell people about it. Also, subscribe, like, leave us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Instagram at Cuz I Have To Podcast and email us, especially if you know someone living their dharma and you think they'd be a great guest on the show. It's Cuz I Have To Podcast at Gmail. And oh, we do love those voice messages. You can leave us one at anchor.fm slash Cuz I Have To. Keep living those dreams, friends, because you have to. Till next time.